Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 6. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. So Jesus decided to get away with his disciples for a time of rest and after a lot of ministry. And Mark chapter 6, remember this story, y'all, y'all listening? Remember this story is in all four gospels, so I'm going to try to put them all together for you and kind of paint uh, a nicer picture for you. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 32 tells us, So they departed to a desert place or deserted place in a boat by themselves. Now many scholars believe that chapter 5 And chapter 6, between chapter 5 and chapter 6, is approximately six months to a year. So for six months, at least, Jesus has been ministering in Galilee. Mark chapter 4, stay with me, verse 12, through, pardon me, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, through chapter 12 of Matthew, tell us what Jesus was doing in that area. So this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is toward the end of his Galilean ministry, which is one of the reasons why so many people are following him. And by this time, Jesus is famous and has a massive following. So the crowds are massive and Jesus is trying to get away to rest. He gets in the boat to go to the other side. Are y'all getting this? The crowd sees that Jesus got into the boat to go to the other side, and they all together, I don't know how many hundreds of them, they went to the other side too. So by the time Jesus gets to the shore, all those people, the whole town is on the other side waiting for him. He's trying to get away from them, and they keep coming up where he is. If I were Jesus, thank God I ain't God. I would have made them all disappear like you got to go. So by this time, Jesus has been doing ministry. He has a large church. Jesus has been laboring, and there's no rest for the weary. The crowds are constantly pressuring him and demanding things and needing something, and Jesus needs to get away and take at least a staycation, which is a good thing. So much needed to rest. I hate it when I read the Bible and it like, like, you know when I read the Bible and it's convicting. Jesus needs to rest. Ministers need to rest. Warren Wearsby said, our only choices are you will come apart with Jesus or you will come apart. Isn't that true? You will come apart or you will come apart. That's very true. So between, now listen, between chapters 5 and 6, Jesus has also gotten some bad news. What's the bad news? The bad news is John the Baptist has been beheaded. John the Baptist, or John the prophet, you know, the prophet that the prophets prophesied about, John is dead. Jesus loved John, and John loved Jesus. So not only is Jesus tired from ministry, 
but his heart is heavy and grieving because cousin John is dead. So Jesus is weary from the ministry and his disciples' hearts are broken, so they need to get away and rest. Notice in verse 2. So Jesus is trying to get away. Verse 2 tells us, are you looking at verse 2? Tells us the multitude followed him because they saw the miracles that he did on those who were diseased. Now, wouldn't it be lovely if the Bible said they followed Jesus because they loved him? Wouldn't it be lovely if the Bible said they followed Jesus because they wanted to repent? Wouldn't it be lovely if the Bible said they followed Jesus because he was the son of God? The Bible says they followed Jesus because they were thrill seekers. They followed Jesus to see the things that he did. And these are the same people, keep in mind, that are later going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Notice these people, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. They loved the miracles but hated his word. They loved the miracles but hated his word. After giving them a long discourse on who he was, look at verse 66 in chapter 6. Verse 66 in chapter 6, and you can see that chapter 6 is really long, isn't it? We're going to be in chapter 6 to December. I'm telling you, it's super long. It's really super, super long. But look at verse 66. It tells us that many of those following him went back, and they walk with him no more. There are people today, listen, who love his miracles, but they don't want to hear his word. Amen. Am I right about it? People love the miracles, they love the signs, they love the wonders, they love the hype of church, but they don't love his word. I remember one time I went to a church some time ago, and it was a church in Virginia. I'm not going to tell you where it was, but it was in Virginia. And uh, this church, I will never forget this, this church was just wacky. This church was wacky. I mean, I'm trying to figure out a nice way to say it, but there's no other way to say it. The church was just wacky. They had dancers all at one time, by the way. They had praise dancers who had white garments. They had waving flags. They had streamers. They had people running throughout the audience, coming up front, laying down and coming like this. They had the big chair on the, on the stage. Y'all know the big chair? You know, I told you about the big chair. And I was sitting in the big chair. And the big chair was so big, my feet were like dangling on the, you know. So I'm sitting in the big chair and my feet are dangling. I'm looking at this church. It's wacky. And people are running around dancing and praise dancers. And they're all going around and dancing and they're coming up on the stage and swinging around the big chair. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is wacky, man. People are speaking in tongues, says the Lord. And I'm like, oh, this is wacky. But I'm thinking, you know what, hey, you know what? They're kind of, you know, they're into the worship stuff and I'm really not into all that, but that's just fine. I'll just keep sitting in this big chair and dangling my legs and I'll wait. And I'll wait until it's my turn to get up. And surely I'm going to wow them with a word. Surely if they're this excited about worship and they're this excited about the things of God, man, when I preach, they are going, amen me. I'm going to preach my heart out. I'm going to bless these people. And I'm going to bless myself. I just knew it. I got up to preach the word. And man, the people were looking at me like I had six heads. 
They look at me like I didn't know what I was, what I was talking about. And I'll never forget it. I was teaching a sermon, uh, Surrender Plus Sacrifice Equals Worship. From Genesis chapter 22. I'm telling you, that was a good sermon. I know it was good. I preached it. It was good. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, two people. I love you, too. I'm telling you, I preached my heart. I, never forget, I will never forget. Surrender plus sacrifice equals worship from Genesis 22 when Abraham was offering up Isaac, and I am preaching my heart out. Then people are sitting in there looking at me like I got six heads. And to me, that's not making sense because you're so much into worship. You're so much into the signs and the wonders and the miracles, and you're speaking in tongues and waving the flags and with the streamers around. And people, uh, I was going to say white people, but they were people in white clothing were running around, and they were white people. And they were, <laughs> they were running around and dancing and caring. I thought, surely they're going to really love the word. And they couldn't tolerate the word. I could tell. I thank God I go to a church and then I pastor a church that we don't need all that. We need all of this. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, to a degree... Uh, some of that is good of people who are or are into the sermon, who say amen, who, who say, you know, you know, amen. And that's a blessing. And and who there's some interaction. Now, if there's too much interaction, well, then it's it's too much interaction and we have to throw you out. But but I'm, but I mean, but appropriate, you know, because it lets the pastor know that. That, that he's blessing them and that they're listening and that, that I'm getting something out of it and some of that's good. None of that was in this church. They were sitting there looking like they died, like they were just the living dead, like just like. And I'm like, Abraham and Isaac, and just as the knife was coming up and the thorn, the thicket, and the, I'm demonstrative, and they were like, I'm like, what's wrong with you people? You need coffee? <laughs> because they couldn't tolerate the word. I thank God we don't have all that here at Calvary Chapel. No light show, no dancing bears. There ain't nobody running around in white clothing. There's no smoke coming up on the stage. I'm not coming up out of the floor like, oh. <laughs> None of that. It's all about the word of God. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. It's all about the word of God. And, and we're interested in the word of God. We don't need theatrics. And don't get me wrong. I believe, honestly, that there are some people I'm not hating. I do believe that there are some people who need a little bit more demonstrative type worship I got that because you need that because that's maybe where you are, but that is not where you need to stay because that's kind of like cotton candy. That's like a spiritual sugar high. You do that on Sunday morning and you're like, woo, church was woo, oh my God, woo, oh, my, oh church was, oh, woo. What did pastor preach about? I don't know, but woo, woo. It's just like, you know, you do all that on Sunday, but what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? You got to walk with God. In order to walk with God Monday through Saturday, you need to know this. You need to know this. 
Well, we got to move on. Look at verse three. Jesus went up into the mountain and he sat with his disciples. And then John tells us it was during the time of the Passover. John is the only writer to tell us it was during the time of the Passover, which probably explains why there was such a huge multitude of people. The Passover is the time associated with the Exodus, you know that, and God's people in the wilderness and God providing manna from heaven. Interesting, in our text, it's kind of a mini wilderness as Jesus is providing bread from heaven. Point number two, missing faith in verse five through nine. Look at verse five. Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. Now, obviously, Jesus had been on the mountain for a while with his disciples and he looked down. And he saw the crowd coming and they were gathering. Now put it together, Matthew 9, 36 then tells us, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what saints? Compassion for them because they were weary. Oh, y'all need to read it with me. But when he saw the multitudes, you all need to read it with me. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. This word compassion, if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know this word compassion is the Greek word splakaneia. Sounds like something you cough up, doesn't it? Splakaneia. And it, it means, it refers to the intestines or the bowels. It could read Jesus was moved in his intestines. It refers to the deep-seated place of emotion. We might say gut feeling. Jesus is moved with compassion because he saw the multitudes were shepherdless. Jesus looked out and saw that they were in a bad way. They were weary and scattered. The word scattered, write it down, is the Greek word ripped. R-I-P-T-O. You guessed it. It means ripped or torn. It means strangled and mangled and exhausted and helpless. Jesus looked down and saw the people were strangled and mangled and exhausted and helpless. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. Question, do you have compassion on people? As Christians, we should. The Bible says, God so loved the world. Jesus loved. And Jesus had compassion on the entire world. Say a better amen than that. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, red and yellow, black and white, we're all precious in his sight. Jesus had compassion on people. And we as Christians need to have compassion on on people, and we want to wear what would Jesus do bracelets, and we want to wear the t-shirts, what would Jesus do, and the hats, what would WWJD? Well, listen, what Jesus would do is he would have compassion on people. Christians, we are the worst at shooting our wounded. When you see somebody down, say amen. Don't shake your head. Say amen. Say amen. When we see somebody down, We need to pick them up. Amen. That's called compassion, not pity. Pity is like, oh, no, I'm just, oh, man, that's a bummer. Dude, that's a bummer, man. You're in that situation? Bummer. Okay, well, I'll check you out later. I got to get Chick-fil-A before they close because, you know, they don't, they don't open on Sunday. You know that, so I need to get on over there. But, hey, it's a bummer you're in that situation. That's pity. Compassion says, you know what? Chick-fil-A is closing, but I need to help you get up from there. 
Am I right about it? Amen. Compassion. We need to have compassion and be like Jesus and do what Jesus would do. The crowds are coming and they need to minister to them. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that it was evening. And the disciples said, listen, it's evening. We better get rid of this crowd because they're going to get hungry and we can't feed all these boys. And the disciples said, let's get rid of them. You know, Jesus never says, let's get rid of them. Verse five, Jesus said to Philip, Look at verse 5. Where are we going to get bread to feed everybody? Verse 6 tells us Jesus is testing them. He knew what to do. The Bible tells us, listen to me close. The Bible tells us that God was testing Philip, so obviously Philip's faith needed to be tested. Did you know that God will often test your trust? God will bring things into your life just to test you for no other reason. And the test isn't to prove anything to God, it's to prove something to you. I'm waiting while you clap your hands, that's the truth. And in this case, God wanted Philip, listen to me, God wanted Philip to really look at, did he believe and trust God? Did Philip really believe in the power of God and the miracles that he's seen? Did he remember Moses that God provided food in the wilderness? Did Philip remember God provided food for Elijah? If God can provide for Moses and God can provide food for Elijah miraculously, then he can provide food in this situation. So God is testing Philip's faith. Listen, God will test your trust. And you say, well, that that hadn't happened to me yet. Listen, hang around long enough and it will. You just hold on and hang around long enough and it will. Sometimes things have to happen in our lives to test our trust. It happened with Abraham in Genesis 22. It happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. God will always give you a test, just a little, listen, listen. God will always give you a test just a little past your trust. God will give you a test just past your trust. If God only tested me as far as I already trust him, I'd never mature. At the same time, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And by the way, that is not a scripture verse. I've heard people say, well, you know what God said? God won't put more than you can bear. I'm like, where did God say that at? That is not in the Bible. Listen, that verse, the concept is in the Bible. But the actual verse, God won't put more than you can bear, that is not in the Bible. God won't test you so far that you mess it up. Somebody once said that God will keep one hand on a thermostat and one hand on you. So he won't let you mess it up. So Philip needs a little trust test. And like everyone, the first thing he does is he tries to work things out mathematically. Philip said 200 denarii, six months wages isn't enough. Now listen, the problem is in two parts here. First, they don't have the money to feed the multitude. Second, even if they did have the money, it would be impossible to purchase enough food to feed them all. Interesting, Philip thought in terms of money and how much money it would take to carry out God's work in a small way. In other words, to have the ability to give everyone a little bite, he was limiting God. 
So Philip was tested past his faith, and he actually failed. Chuck Smith said, when God puts you to a test, try and pass it. You might have to take it again. Isn't that true? And it always amazes me and interests me. Philip says, did y'all get this? Oh, we don't have enough. And Jesus is standing right there. I, thank God I ain't God. I would have tapped Philip on the shoulder and said, Philip, hello. <laughs> hey, I'm God. I can do anything. What do you mean I don't have enough? Philip failed to add Jesus into the calculation. And many times God doesn't do great things in your life because we fail to factor him into the equation. Somebody once said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that's true. Look at verse 9. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, there's a little boy here with a sack lunch of five barley loaves and two fish. But that's nothing for this crowd. Now, barley loaves is about the size of your fish, a fist. And the fish wasn't a big tuna. They were like little sardines. You know, there are always these so-called scholars out there who try to disprove the miracles in the Bible. And this one guy, I'll tell you about the Red Sea one later because it's just as ridiculous as this one. But this one guy said, concerning the feeding of the 5,000, he said, with the two fish and the five loaves of bread, it wasn't a miracle. Rather, a little boy gave his lunch. And when the boy offered his lunch, it touched the hearts of the people, and all the people who had lunch up their sleeves were moved and began to share. And you know, in those days, they wore robes, and they had bell sleeves up their robes. So what this guy is saying is that the little fella, that little fella had his little lunch, his little mommy made him a little peanut butter and jelly, in this case, a McFish. I get paid the big bucks to go with this stuff, y'all. And, and, and when he, that little fella, took out his little lunch and gave it, everybody's heart was touched. And they said, oh, isn't that cute? And then they start taking their lunch out of their sleeve and they start giving it to anybody. Listen, that's just stupid. That's just stupid. This isn't the miracle of the hidden lunch up the sleeve. <laughs> It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or the 15,000 men, women, and children feeding of hungry people. So they didn't think that they had enough. In verse 10, Jesus said, give them something to eat. Number three, miraculous feeding in verse 10 through 12. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, make the people sit down. This is beautiful, isn't it? God provided them a comfortable green carpet to sit on. Now, if you've been in this area on our trips to Israel, you know there's a lot of green grass around the Sea of Galilee, enough for a lot of people to sit down on. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Listen, every time I say that, preach that, I think of uh, Psalm 23. And he maketh me, y'all say it with me, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now listen, Mark 6, put the story together, Mark 640 tells us, so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. Imagine that job, getting 15,000 people to get in groups of hundreds and fifties. And think about it, 12 people serving 15,000 people for dinner. 
So don't ever complain again in line at the church potluck. Say amen. I'm not going to do it. Think about it. The crowd didn't know what was going on. The disciples didn't know what was going on. They were just being obedient to Jesus. Now watch this. Their faith may have failed, but their obedience didn't. You might want to write this down. If you lose your faith, but not your obedience, you're in good shape. But if you lose your faith and you lose your obedience, stick a fork in you and call you done. You are done. The only way for you to pass the trust test is to simply obey. You don't have to understand, just obey. Sometimes this Christian life is just simply boils down to obedience. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.